If you have been with us as we have been celebrating the Advent season over the last three weeks, this is week four, the last week of Advent. I mean, Christmas is just a few days away. (laughs) And throughout this whole season of Advent, if you haven't been with us, uh, we changed the way we preach, and instead of preaching more expository sermons, we tell stories. And we try to tell stories uh, in an attempt to identify with some of these uh, heroes of the faith, some of these Old Testament and even early, early New Testament characters that we study year after year. We, we hear their stories season after season of Christmas, and yet sometimes we don't slow down enough to enter into those stories and to realize there were some real questions these people had as they encountered the Savior of the world being born. We try to identify with the Old Testament people of God as they were waiting for Jesus to come. And even as we are the New Testament people of God, and as we wait for Jesus to come again. So we've been asking questions, real questions. Let's see if this works. If you were here with us the first week, we looked at the story of Mary who asked, how can this be? And we saw that nothing is impossible with God. If you were here with us week two of Advent, we turned our attention to Joseph who asked the question, how much will this cost me? As he considered obeying the Lord, which would cost him his reputation, maybe his hometown, maybe his entire life. If you were here last week, we looked at the character of King Herod as an example of what not to do. And the question he was asking is, how can I still rule? A question we continue to ask, ashamedly so, as we sort of try to follow Jesus as long as we can stay in charge of our own lives. But this week, we, we draw our celebration of Advent to a close with a look at some shepherds. Shepherds to whom God announced the birth of Jesus. Shepherds who met Mary and Joseph. Shepherds who found a child wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And after all that was said and done, the question I imagine they found themselves asking is, well, uh, what should we do now? Which is actually kind of a relevant question for us today too. Jesus has come. It's Christmas. There's a lot of doing going on at this time of year. But the question of what should we be doing is a much better question than what are we doing. And especially this Christmas. It is worth asking the question, in light of Jesus being born, what should we do now? So I invite you to engage your imagination. Allow yourself to paint the scenes in your mind as each chapter of our story this morning provides sort of a different take, a different answer, or maybe just different facets of a single answer as we, together with a bunch of shepherds, ask the question, what should we do now? A reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 18. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, 
I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly, there with the angel was a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace good will toward men and it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven the shepherds said to one another let us go now even unto bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass which the lord hath made known to us and they came with haste and found mary and joseph and the babe lying in a manger and when they had seen it They made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child, and all that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Chapter 1. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, at least They had been out in the fields watching their flocks by night until an angelic army showed up and scared them half to death with the greatest news the world has ever known. The group of shepherds had rushed into the village desperate to find the child about whom the angels had spoken. And they found the child just as the angels had said. Now, Joseph had been initially hesitant to let them in to see Jesus. They were, after all, shepherds. Shepherds did not have the greatest reputation. That and they were kind of smelly, living out in the fields with their herds. But then they mentioned the angel and Joseph knew it would be okay because that kind of thing had been going around recently. The shepherds stumbled over each other as they gathered around the manger, jockeying for position to see the child. They were like children themselves, pushing and shoving, but trying to do so quietly as not to wake the child. But they all just needed to see the baby. And Mary had asked them to tell her about the angel. Angel, one of them began. It wasn't just an angel. Another shepherd cut him off. It was an entire army of angels spread across the entire night sky shouting. And then everyone was talking at once. It took the better part of an hour for the shepherds to relate their story, interrupting one another, correcting one another, bickering like children really as they told their story, each one vying to be the center of attention. Mary did her best to follow the thread of the story and she got... Most of it, the telling of the story, was almost as good as the story that was being told. She found herself laughing with them as they bumbled their way through the story of God's great announcement that a Savior had been born. She treasured their story. She treasured the telling of their story. And she pondered these things in her heart. They didn't stay much longer. They obviously woke the baby. And eventually, Joseph gently but firmly implied that, well, yes, it might be time for them to be off back to their fields. So, with jubilant goodbyes and promises to visit often, at which Mary and Joseph exchanged concerned looks, the shepherds bumbled out the door the way they'd come in. Which is how a group of dirty, smelly shepherds came to be gathered in the streets of Bethlehem in the middle of the night, standing awkwardly, sort of looking at each other, just outside a house, unexpectedly alone in the darkness. And... There was a long silence that set in, but it was a pregnant silence. The group just stood there. No one moved. No one seemed to know what to do. No one seemed to know where to go. No one seemed to know how to respond to what they just experienced. There was an, there was an energy in the group, a restlessness, an eagerness that was going to burst out of them if only they had a direction for it. So, 
What should we do now? One of the shepherds asked, bouncing a little bit on the balls of his feet, still excited. I mean, really, how do you top that? We've just been visited by angels. The Messiah has been announced. And we've met the baby. What a day! So, what's next? His eyes were dancing, sparkling, still energized. The group just looked around at one another, no one exactly sure. Were they to go back to their fields and just go to sleep? Like that would ever happen, not after what they'd just witnessed. That was an impossibility, yet they didn't know what to do with all this pent-up energy and excitement they still carried, which was amplified by the uncertainty of what they were about to do next. Until one shepherd spoke up. I've got it. I know what we're going to do, he said. We're gonna tell everybody, he shouted at the top of his voice. Wake up, Bethlehem! The Savior's been born! And the entire group of shepherds, now with an outlet for their energy, began shouting and celebrating, glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen as they walked through the village on their way back out to their fields. Keep it down out there, the villagers shouted back to them. People are sleeping here. Then wake up, the shepherds shouted back. How can you sleep at a time like this? They were not done with their evening yet. They needed to share their story with even more people. Lamps started being lit in many of the homes. People began to stumble out into the street to scold the shepherds and to try to get them to quiet down and leave town. But pretty soon, though, there was a small crowd walking through the streets of Bethlehem along with the shepherds, listening to the incredible story of angels and feed boxes, a baby who would save the world and bring true and lasting peace. And the crowd grew more and more amazed and filled with wonder at the things the shepherds told them. And it was a long time before Bethlehem settled down for the night. Chapter 2 And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and lo, nothing out of the ordinary happened at all. It was a few months after that incredible night when they'd met the Messiah. And while that night had been just amazing, you know, after a few months, the amazingness had kind of faded. The shepherds often found themselves retelling the story around their campfire in the evenings with all the, remember how, and the, remember when? And at first, that was because they couldn't help it. They were just still so excited. They enjoyed reliving the story over and over. But somewhere along the line, their storytelling became more of an attempt to hang on to that excitement, to preserve it as though it was something fleeting, like the smoke from their campfire disappearing into the night sky. If they just maybe kept retelling the story, maybe they could hold on to that excitement just a little bit longer. But eventually, life kind of moved on. Days came and went. They moved their herds from pasture to pasture. They tended the weak. They bound up the wounded. They chased down the strays. They did what shepherds do. They tended sheep. On this particular evening, the group of shepherds were gathered, all sitting around their campfire together, staring into the flames. The darkness was thick, wrapping around them like a blanket. They were all deep in thought. Now, there were still some lights flickering up in Bethlehem in the distance, but most of the town had long since extinguished their lamps and had settled down for the night. So, what should we do now? The youngest shepherd broke the silence. Oh, what are you talking about? Another one of the shepherds reprimanded, bothered by the intrusion into his own quiet thoughts. No, it, it's, a, it's a question. What, what now? What should we do now? I mean, we met Jesus, the baby. We've met the Messiah, and we've told literally everyone. 
So, what now? What are we supposed to do with what we've seen and heard? The Savior of the world has come and we're supposed to just keep tending sheep? That's what we do, another replied. We're shepherds. What else do you think we should be doing? I don't know, the youngest one replied. Something more than this. I mean, compared to angels and messiahs and messages from the Lord and saviors being born, isn't shepherding just a little, well, inconsequential? Isn't it just a little bit ordinary? I mean, we're just supposed to sit around and wait for what, like 30 years or so until this baby grows up, just waiting for him to save us? We're just supposed to wait? Um, another responded, we're shepherds. Our job is literally standing around waiting for sheep all day. Waiting's kind of what we do. But what about that excitement we felt? Where is that gone? What about the incredible news that the Messiah has come? After all that, how can we just tend sheep? Oh my boy, don't sell shepherding short, one of the older shepherds answered. It may seem mundane. It may feel like we're not part of God's purposes. It may seem like He doesn't see us and that we're not in the thick of it all, but we're shepherds. We've always been in the thick of it all. He continued, think of the great heroes of the faith. Think about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and what were they doing? They were herdsmen. They were shepherds. That's not a bad association, right? And Moses, the greatest prophet our people have ever known, he spent years tending the flocks of his father-in-law. He was a shepherd, a herdsman, and that equipped him to lead the children of Israel. And King David, how did the Lord prepare him to be the greatest king our people have ever known? He allowed a dramatic pause. He was a shepherd. Don't you remember? He was still out in the fields when Samuel came to find a king. In fact, it was these very fields surrounding Bethlehem where David tended the flocks of his father Jesse. He would have gazed up from among his sheep, seeing Bethlehem right there, up there on the hill, just like we do today. The young shepherd interrupted. But what about today? I mean, it's great and all that shepherding used to be an honorable calling, but the world's different now. Shouldn't we be out there doing something, doing anything other than shepherding? The older shepherds smiled knowingly. I wasn't finished. Shepherding isn't just something from the past. Something our forefathers did back in the day when the Lord was doing His mighty works. The Scriptures have long foretold that the long-awaited Messiah would come. And do you remember what they say the Messiah will be? The old shepherd asked. And he began to quote the prophet Micah. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. You hear that, boy? The Messiah was always going to be a shepherd. Maybe just not of sheep. Maybe of people. For our God is a shepherd God. Remember the words of the psalmist, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Or was it not the prophet Ezekiel who wrote, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, I will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. They will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. The Lord has always been a shepherd, my boy. And that settles it. As far as I'm concerned, I'm telling you, the older shepherd answered, even after all these years, there's no place I would rather be than right here on the hillsides outside of Bethlehem 
a shepherd waiting for our shepherd God to come and save us all. So you're saying we're just supposed to wait. There was disappointment in the young shepherd's voice. Yes, we wait. But, but the Messiah has come, he objected. But the Messiah is only four months old, the other answered. Give him some time. <sighs> I hate waiting. It feels like the excitement is fading. It seems less real than it did just a few months ago. I don't want to lose that excitement we felt that night. I feel like we have to do something. Here's what we do. We honor the Lord. We work diligently. We tend the sheep. And we wait for God to do His thing. We wait for the child to grow. And yes, that doesn't sound very action-packed. But it's the life of faith, boy. We eagerly await the time when the Messiah will come and rescue us. Your excitement doesn't need to fade. You just need to let that excitement sink deep into who you are. And when it takes root there, excitement becomes a steady, slow-burning, enduring joy. Excitement, kid, that's fleeting. Joy will change your life and transform everything you do, even tending sheep. And in the meantime, we wait. In the Lord's timing, He will move. When God moves, we'll know it. Until then, we tell the stories to remind us of where our hope lies. I still don't want to wait, the young shepherd complained. I hate waiting. Well, then you might be in the wrong line of work, boy, the older shepherd chided. Chapter 3. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, still keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, again nothing out of the ordinary happened. Still, some thirty-odd years had passed. And some of those first shepherds from all those years ago had been gathered to their fathers. And that young, impatient shepherd, well, he wasn't so young anymore. And he wasn't so impatient either. He'd grown older and, in fact, had almost become wise. He had his own family, and his own son was almost a grown man now. And his son had just returned from Jerusalem and was eager to share his news. Father, he said, I think it's happening. I think it's begun. Well, get over here, boy. Plant yourself here by the fire and tell me, he motioned for his son to come sit beside him around the small fire he built for warmth as the chill of the evening set in on the hills outside Bethlehem. Rumors have been circulating all over the region that this Jesus of Nazareth had begun to do amazing things, teaching huge crowds of people, healing people, casting out demons. Word had reached Bethlehem that he was in Jerusalem itself, just a few hours' journey away. So he'd sent his son into the city to find out what he could about Jesus. Could it be that the time had finally come? After all these years, after angelic announcements, a sky full of heavenly warriors, those humble parents and the baby in a feed trough, was God finally going to do it? Was He finally going to rescue His people? In the cool of the evening, the two men wrapped their cloaks around themselves and sat across from each other around the fire. The sheep had all settled down for the night. And while it was dark, it was still early enough to see some twinkling firelight from Bethlehem in the distance. The young man's eyes sparkled as he spoke either because of his excitement or because they reflected the light of the flames in front of him, or both. He healed a man, Father. A man born blind. That's what everyone was saying. He'd just done it. I mean, how could he do that unless he's the one? Unless he's the Messiah? 
Oh, so you believe me now then, his father began. You still think I've been making up stories your whole life? Hmm? No, you should have heard him, father, the boy continued. So you actually saw him? You got close enough to hear him? Yeah, he was actually just walking through the streets, talking and teaching as he went. He wasn't even in the temple or anything. He was just among the people. I mean, there were Pharisees there, but they were just trying to get dirt on him or something. They were just pestering him with nitpicky questions. But you should have heard him, Father. Well, what was he saying? Tell me, his father demanded, eager to hear. Well, I mean, I only caught part of it while he was going by, but but you're not going to believe it. He's calling himself a shepherd. Not, not just a shepherd. He's calling himself the good shepherd. He said, I heard it with my own ears. He said, I am the good shepherd. He said he knows his sheep and his sheep know him. He said that he's come to bring us life and life to the full. <laughs> so it has begun at last, his father sighed. We've been waiting for so long. The two fell into a contented silence around the fire, but after a few moments... His son started squirming, his restless energy starting to get the better of him. And his father looked at him inquiringly. What's on your mind, son? Something bothering you? Well, yeah. So, so what do we do now? His son asked. If, if he's the Messiah, if he's the one, if God's rescue's begun, what do we do now, father? I mean, we're just sitting here tending sheep outside Bethlehem. What are we doing here? He's right there in Jerusalem. Shouldn't we go? Shouldn't we do something? Anything? How can we just sit here tending sheep? That's a great question, his father began. I remember asking that question myself once or twice a long time ago. He smiled at the memory. Tell me, boy, what did he say we should do? I mean, you were there. You heard him teaching. What was Jesus telling the people to do? Um, his son began. He didn't really cover that. I mean, I was expecting him to be stirring up the people to rise up against Rome, or, or I was expecting him to tell the people to resist and to gather and to unite under his leadership. I mean, we're, I was envisioning the rescue of God being the return of, of a king like from days of old, like he would throw off Rome and reestablish God's people once again. That's what I was expecting, his son explained. But his father cut him off. Yes, because God so often does what people expect. Were you paying attention to what Jesus was actually saying? Or were you just listening to him for what you wanted to hear? What did Jesus, what did the good shepherd say we should do? Well, the son began. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, he didn't really talk about what his sheep should do. He just kept saying how he was the shepherd. That he was the good shepherd. In fact, he didn't say a single thing about what we should do at all. He was kind of focused on what he would do for his sheep. I mean... Dad, I've heard that he's taught huge crowds and people say he teaches that we should love the Lord with all our hearts, that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. We should even love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. I've heard he even asked a rich man to sell everything he had and to follow him. There are lots of ways that people are responding to him. But what I heard, well, what I heard him say, it wasn't about what we had to do at all. It was about what he would do for us as our shepherd. Honestly, Father, he made it sound like we didn't have to do anything. He was going to do it all for us. He said he is the good shepherd, and the good shepherd will lay down his life for his sheep. Wait, what? His father interrupted. Run that last part by me again. He's going to do what? Oh, yeah, his son remembered. That was the weirdest part, Father. He said that he would lay down his life for his sheep. Well, I mean... That doesn't sound right, his father said, furrowing his brow. That doesn't make any sense. You must have misheard him. 
I don't think so, Father. He said it even a few times. He said the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And later, he said that he would lay down his life. That he'd lay down his life of his own accord only to take it up again. Well, how can he rescue anyone if he lays down his life? His father asked. His son answered, You just finished telling me that God rarely does what we expect, Father. I know, I know, but to lay down his life? His father wondered out loud. What kind of rescue is that? Ephesians 2 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. 